0: Isaiah 52:13 through 53:12. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see.
1: For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave of the wicked. And with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors.
2: An important reading from the word of the Lord in preparation for what we are about to experience together. We call this communion of the Lord's table. It is an integral part of Christian worship. It is certainly a time of thanksgiving for the sacrifice of our Lord. But Christ gave us communion to unify the body in Him. We do it. We do it together because Jesus ordained it. But we do it to remember. To remember our Lord's death and resurrection. To remember that we are His body together as the church. We do it to remember to look for His glorious return in the future, which is the believer's glorious hope. The Passover feast commemorated the final plague on Egypt when the firstborn of the Egyptians died and the Israelites were spared because of the blood of the lamb that was sprinkled on their doorposts. The lamb then traditionally was roasted and eaten with unleavened bread. And God's command was that the feast would be celebrated from that moment on by every generation until he returns. So during the Last Supper of our Lord Jesus and his disciples, which was a Passover celebration, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he gave thanks to God. And then he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and then he said these words, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying this, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. He then concluded the feast by singing a hymn. And they went out that night to the Mount of Olives where Jesus was later betrayed. It was the following day that he was crucified the day that we remember this evening. That new covenant replaced the old covenant when Christ, the Passover lamb, was sacrificed. The sacrificial system was no longer needed. See, communion, what we do here together, is a remembrance of what Christ did for us, but also a celebration of what we receive as a result of His sacrifice. So when we come and take the elements of the communion table together in just a moment, I would ask that you would come up the aisle, just go around the outside of the table, that you would take both bread and the cup, and then you can just return back to your seat around the other side of the table. And so as you do that, I would encourage and challenge each of you to do something that perhaps maybe you haven't done in a while or perhaps even ever. And that is to truly, as you close your eyes and you bow your head before your God and your Creator, to remember what He did. But to remember in such a way as to perhaps even picture what it would have been like to be one of those who were at the foot of the cross seeing what Jesus was going through. We know there are scriptures, some of which we'll read in just a moment, that show in detail what it is that was happening at that moment. The words of Jesus before he gave up his last breath and what was going on with the women who gathered there and his beloved disciple, apostle John. But as you take the communion, let it be a time of reflection, a time to contemplate what this truly means to you. Let it not pass you by to be just another thing that you do in church, to sort of check off your list, but take it to heart, thinking about all that you know, the Lord Jesus, what you have read, and to picture what it would have been like to be there at that event. Let me pray for us, and then as you hear the music begin to play, as you feel led, you can come up and come around the outside of the table and take both a cup and a piece of the bread and return to your seat. And after everyone has done that, then I will instruct us to take the elements together. We'll do that as a church body, as a family. Father, we do this in remembrance of the Lord Jesus and His willingness to go to the cross, And we are thankful because we remember. We remember this past year since we gathered here to do the same thing, and we're thankful. We remember uh, friends and family, and we are thankful for them. We remember your provisions in our lives, and we're thankful. But of course, now we remember the cross, and for that, we are eternally thankful. Amen. The seven last sayings of the Lord Jesus. It has become tradition among many Christians, many churches, to to look at and to reflect upon the last statements, we call them the words, the last things that Jesus said before He left this earth in bodily form. You know, um, I think it's good and right that we do that as well. And I was reflecting upon this past year and what we actually did last year at this time for the Good Friday service, and I was having trouble remembering exactly what we did and what elements were included in last year's service, and I was looking through my notes, and then I remembered that I actually wasn't here for that service. And if some of you might remember, but um, I had injured my lower back. And uh, I literally couldn't move, let alone stand up. And so at the very last minute, I had to call upon some very brave people to come and to lead the service, and what a blessing it was that they could do that. And so no wonder that I couldn't remember all that we did. And so I was reflecting upon this fact, reading through the last sayings of Jesus, and of course recognizing that he had, as everything he said, very profound words to impart to his disciples and to um, the thief on the cross and also to his Father in heaven. Things that he said before he took his last breath. And I was thinking about how back a year ago, I was in so much pain. I just barely made it through the Easter service. And I had all kinds of medication, on me and in me, and I had this um this little portable thing on my back, and you probably didn't recognize it where it kind of like stimulates your muscles and so I had my microphone here, and then I had that in this pocket and halfway through the service, I was pushing that button, you know, trying to get that pain relief and and so but it certainly was a blessing, but just reflecting on how much pain I was in, and I think we 've all experienced something like that, whether it 's your lower back, your knee. Your, a joint, whatever that is, you know what it's like to be in pain. And I think at the time I would have said I was literally in excruciating pain. But then as I was reflecting on the words that we were going to go over this evening, I said to myself, no, you weren't. You weren't in excruciating pain. You know that word excruciating actually in the Latin? It comes from cross, that word crux and later just became known as torment, that it was just signified and related to crucifixion, and that word cross, torment or torture on a cross, Jesus experienced pain beyond excruciating. He, in fact, defined literally the worst pain anyone could feel, excruciating, torment, on the cross. We don't usually stop to consider the actual physical suffering of our Lord. Maybe it's around this time of year that you, um, that you watch The Passion of the Christ if you've ever seen it. Certainly not one of those movies that you go to and watch time and again, but we do it sometimes to reflect this time of year just to perhaps get a glimpse, even though Hollywood can, can do so much to show the true, uh, the true um, gruesome violence that our Lord endured, it still was not the same. It still could in no way depict exactly what he was going through. And of course, we don't like to dwell on those kind of thoughts, but in a way, that's what this evening is for. That's what this time and this gathering is about. And so as we're just going to briefly look at the last seven statements of Jesus Christ from the cross, I would like you to think about what he is saying in light of what he was experiencing physically as he was saying these words. See, his suffering began in the Garden of Gethsemane, did it not? When God laid the sins of the world on his Son and began that process, it was so intense that caused so much stress and anxiety that it caused him to sweat blood. And then, of course, after his arrest, Jesus was beaten. He was flogged so mercilessly that the skin was stripped off his back, exposing muscle and bone. And After being beaten and tortured, crowned with thorns, the Roman soldiers drove large nails Spikes, really, into his wrists. They rammed another large nail into his feet. At that point, Jesus probably suffered dislocation of his shoulders, muscle spasms, dehydration, massive blood loss, fluid in his lungs. In fact, breathing itself would have been extremely difficult. Think about that in light of what we're going to hear tonight the seven last statements of Jesus. Words that He said. Words, as the video said, of salvation and forgiveness and comfort. Words spoken as He could barely catch a breath. He would have been able to inhale, but had great difficulty exhaling. To exhale, He probably would have had to push His feet, push on His feet and straighten His legs to release the pressure that would have been exerted on the rest of his upper body, but that pain caused in his feet would have been so excruciating. Because of the nails, he probably immediately would have stopped trying. Yet scripture even tells us that he refused to take something, a drink that would have perhaps eased some of the pain, because he chose to endure the pain for us. So in the midst of that excruciating torture, he struggled for every breath. Jesus spoke these last words. The seven final statements to his disciples, that thief on the cross, and to the Father. Words that were so profound that give us pause to reflect on these things. God's forgiveness, his offer of salvation, the importance of relationship, the gravity of sin, In his sense of abandonment, the reality of the incarnation, in his feeling of desperation, Christ's humility and obedience in his final act of surrender, and the absolute power and sovereignty of God in his triumph over sin. First, we see in Luke 23, 34, it says this, and Jesus said, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Words we're familiar with. We've heard those before. Jesus spoke those words as he was even grasping for breath. We recognize that Jesus died for the guilty. Father, forgive them. Forgive them, he says, after they had tortured and beaten him. Romans 5.8 tells us, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. See, they had denied that He was the Messiah. His own did not recognize or receive Him. But we are called to forgive just as Christ forgave. We are called to pray for those who persecute us. We are called to say the same thing to others. In a sense, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus shows the true weight and the true beauty of forgiveness even from the position on the cross. In the midst of people mocking Him, He showed His abounding love, His compassion, and His amazing grace towards all of us to the whole world, John 3.16. For God so loved world right we are to share our faith in him in that Christ who was on the cross see the world needs to know him they need to recognize him that he is that promised messiah and most importantly that in him alone forgiveness for sins is found forgive them father for they know not what they do may we forgive others as he forgives us he spoke words of salvation in Luke twenty three forty three, it says this and he said to them truly I say to you he said to him today you will be with me in paradise don't you just love that today you will be with me in paradise who was he speaking to the thief on the cross there was two thieves one mocking just like the others but what happened with that one that one criminal For Jesus to say, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It took humility from that thief on the cross. For he finally recognized who Jesus was. And here's what he did. He simply believed. Because he believed and put his trust in Jesus for eternal salvation, Jesus could truly say to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Not tomorrow, not next week, not sometime in the future, today. Perhaps even the thief, recognizing he was the Messiah, thought when he returns, when somehow he gets out of this and he sets up his kingdom, maybe in a few weeks, a month, in a few years, I don't know, Jesus, will you remember me then? And then Jesus says, no, today, You'll be with me in paradise. Psalm 51 says this, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. What does it take to come before God, a broken and contrite heart? It takes humility to recognize that we are not God to recognize that God did keep His promise and send the Savior as He said He would. Once we take the focus off of ourselves, our pleasures, our problems, we then see Christ for who He is at that moment of salvation when we believe. We are saying, remember me. And Jesus says to all of us, today you will be with me in paradise. That is a promise for us. He promises that all who believe in him will be saved, even at the moment of death, even on what we might call a deathbed confession. The thief believed Jesus to be who he said he was and to believe that he could do what he said. Jesus also spoke words about relationship. What a beautiful picture this is in John 19:26 to 27. When Jesus saw his mother, Jesus is on the cross and he looks down, and it says when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that was John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. You know what was actually happening here? Jesus is thinking about his mother. He's thinking of others. Jesus who could barely catch a breath in excruciating pain, knowing what he was going through and what was about to happen, he is worried and concerned about his mother. is that not amazing? That he actually looks down and he sees the disciple whom he loved and He says, look, treat her like your mother. He said to his mother, this is now your son. We often say that our faith, that Christianity is not about religion, but it's about relationship. Relationship matters to God. Relationships are at the heart of God's nature. Did he not create us to join in fellowship with him, to worship him? To have a relationship, an intimate one at that, with Him, our Creator. He had a uniquely special relationship with Adam and Eve. God created marriage, the ultimate in relationship. Scriptures are full of testimonies about the power of relationships with one another. Jesus, as He was suffering beyond expression, thought of His mother and her care. After he was gone, our Jesus is always compassionate. And we can take that to heart tonight as well. He charged the beloved disciple to care for her. Why would that be? What about the other children, family members? It seems at that time, not only were they not in that area or around, they were probably not even yet believers. They had not believed that he was truly the Messiah. And so he was going to entrust the care of his beloved mother to a trusted disciple who did believe and would follow him and lead her. Jesus' desire was to leave her care to a trusted follower. So let us always follow Christ's example in this, to think of others before we think of ourselves, even in the midst of our suffering, of our depressions, of our dark times, that we would take the focus off ourselves and think of others, that we would pray for others, that we would serve and help others. God certainly calls us to a life that is others-focused, isn't it? We also see words of Jesus, words that could even be hard to understand and to grasp words that look at abandonment. How Jesus felt abandoned in Matthew 27 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, Lema sabachthani. That is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, Jesus took our sins upon himself. Our sin is what separates us from our Creator, from God the Father. See, we are separated from Him because of our sin. So Jesus needed to experience that separation, that feeling of abandonment, for that is what we were doomed to face, eternal separation from God. Although as God, Jesus, of course, knew what must take place in His flesh, in His humanity. He cried out these words. He could very well have been recalling the words from Psalm 22. I'd like to read those words to you. They won't be up on the screen. Would you just listen? This is Psalm 22, written so long before this event. Psalm 22 starts with these familiar words. Perhaps Jesus even recalling these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Do those words sound familiar? And these were recorded in Psalm 22. Yet you brought me out of the womb, it continues. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Can you picture Jesus feeling the abandonment and separation from the Father? He goes on to say, all my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. This is from Psalm 22. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword. Rescue me from the mouth of lions. Then I will declare your name to my people. And he goes on and on, continuing. Can you just picture Jesus? In that hour of feeling abandoned by the Father, just crying out to Him again. Fully God, knowing what needed to happen but fully human and in the flesh crying out to God these words from psalm 22 why have you forsaken me father but also a few more in desperation in john 19:28 very simply it says after this jesus knowing that all was now finished he said to fulfill the scripture i thirst simple words Again, fully God, but fully human. He experienced thirst. It was also to fulfill a prophecy from Psalm 69, but let us not miss the irony. The Son of God, Jesus himself, the living water, said he was thirsty. One of the beautiful things of the incarnation, of God becoming man, becoming human, in the flesh taking upon flesh, is that we now have who we call our great high priest. Even on the cross, Jesus was being our advocate and saying these words. Hebrews 4, 14, 16 reminds us of this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't that awesome that we have a great high priest, an advocate, who knows what it's like to be thirsty? who knows what it's like to experience physical pain. Jesus spoke words of surrender. Two last statements that he made. In Luke twenty-three forty-six. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Words of final surrender to the Father. They simply reveal this, a complete trust in his heavenly father and that gives hope there's hope in the glory and reconciliation and restored communion with the father he had just had these words where he was he was crying out words of abandonment why have you forsaken me but as he then recognizing that the events are now finished and he is coming to the close of his his work and and all that he was called to do finishing he says i commit my spirit to you. Into your hands I commit my spirit that must have given Jesus a bit of hope, knowing that soon His communion with the Father would be restored. See, whenever Jesus spoke of His imminent suffering to His disciples along the way in those three years with His disciples when He would tell them, especially towards the end, what needed to happen, that He needed to suffer and die, He would also speak Of the glory that would follow. Because there is always hope. There is always hope. So in our suffering, do we completely trust God? Do we hold on to hope, believing that Christ knows us and that He can be completely trusted? Are we willing to give up control of our lives and surrender our will, our very life, to Him? and this brings us to the last statement a statement truly of victory and of triumph in John 19:30 when Jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished and he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit it is finished three words a cry of victory the battle had been won his suffering was over His work on earth was done. The debt of sin that we owed had been forever paid. The wall between man and God had been torn down. The curtain of the temple torn in two from top to bottom. We now have access to the Father through Jesus Christ and Him alone. What amazing, wondrous words from our Lord Jesus, all while He was suffering excruciating pain. So as we remember throughout our days, those words of Jesus, put it in context, what was he experiencing when he was giving these still these words of hope, of forgiveness, of salvation, even in cries of abandonment and desperation? He brought words of surrender and finally triumph, always being our great example. You know, a person's last words and often carry much weight and significance. You know, throughout history we have records of famous people, politicians, and world leaders in their famous last words, but none ever more so throughout history than Jesus' words, carrying so much weight and significance. May our words that we speak to one another reflect The words of Christ, that we would pray for the strength, the courage, the wisdom, and the discernment to forgive as He forgives, to share the gospel of salvation to all, to think of others before ourselves as He did with His mother, to trust in the Father when we feel abandoned and in our times of desperation, to cling to the hope that comes from His triumph on the cross and be willing to surrender ourselves to him, committing to be his disciples as we, as we live out these words from Romans 12. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is our spiritual act of worship. Jesus gave up his own body as a sacrifice on our behalf, The Apostle Paul tells us in this passage that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to Him. If Christ Jesus died for you, will you live for Him? I'm going to pray. We will conclude our time with a time of worship. Father God, we do thank you. We thank you for the opportunity and the ability to remember God as we get older we tend to forget things we forget names dates places we forget words but God we recognize the power of remembrance when we gather around this table as we did this evening and we do it all in remembrance of you father We are remembering what it cost you. What it cost your Son on the cross. God, we cannot truly even fathom. Even with the words to express what Jesus was experiencing on the cross. Words can't even do it justice. Father, we don't like to dwell on that. But we also know at the same time it's important and so Lord, as we make our way towards Sunday, as we look forward to celebrating the day of resurrection, remembrance of Christ defeating death and, and how the body was not there and the tomb was empty, the grave could not hold him, death could not keep him. Father God, we know that to get to Sunday, we have to go through Friday. May we always keep that in perspective. And Father, as we reflect throughout our days on on the words that we have recorded in the Gospels, the last words spoken by Jesus before his death, God, help us. Help us, Lord. Give us that discernment, that wisdom to be able to truly grasp in just a deeper way what he was experiencing and truly the weight of those words. God, that we would take those words to heart, that we would be willing to forgive others as you have forgiven us, that we would think of others before ourselves. And God, all the things that Jesus even taught us as he struggled to breathe. God, have mercy on us. We truly need your mercy on our lives. And Father, as we Bring our gathering here tonight to a close through a time of worship, through song. God, let the music move us, but let the words, the truth and reality of the word sink deep. God, that they would change us. And Lord, that we would be able to recognize that when we come before you, we are to surrender, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. May our worship now be holy and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name.